Okay. <clears throat> Y'all stop being nice to each other. Excited to be here this morning. Hey, a quick reminder, we have Christmas Mall coming up. Anybody excited about Christmas Mall? Um, just so you know, you guys uh, across uh, the church, y'all have adopted 64 families, uh, given Christmas presents and, and clothing and meeting needs. And I want to invite you next Saturday at 9 a.m. We're going to be uh, gathering up here and wrapping gifts. I will not be wrapping gifts because that is not my spiritual gift, okay? Anybody? else, uh, that's not your gift. We will have you in another area if you can't wrap presents, but uh, we have lots of needs. We'd love to invite you to come serve. You can text Faye to 88,000 to get signed up to serve. Uh, lots of opportunity there. I want to tell you this morning, I'm officially on a new uh, diet. It is called the water, ice, and air diet after Thanksgiving. Anybody else? Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, but we ate good this Thanksgiving. And man, it is so good to be back in Fayetteville, back home. Um, as we came over the hill on Monday night of this week, I saw the city of Fayetteville and I was just overwhelmed with thankfulness and gratitude because we get to live here. We get to call this place home. And we get to be a part of this family and this church. Are y'all thankful for this church? You thankful for Fayetteville, um, this region? I, I believe that God is doing something really cool. We celebrated one year of being the pastors here a couple weeks ago. And then uh, my wife and I got away on a little trip um, to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, we did not stay in that barn that y'all saw in that video last week. If you saw that dilapidated barn, um, we, we stayed right outside in Franklin uh, towards Leapers Fork. We had a black last and and uh, we love using Airbnb. Anybody like Airbnb? You like to, you know, find some cool places. Well, you know, they, they always show the amenities. Like they show like a hot tub, like the wraparound porch. They show, you know, the, the countertops and the nice hardwood floors and the and all of these things, walk-in closets and, you know, the, the rain shower head. And you're like, okay, well, y'all know um, plunger is not listed on that list. I've never seen it listed. Um, and I believe that it needs to be. And I tell you, um, on night one of our, our getaway for seven years of marriage, it's supposed to be romantic, right? Well, the toilet got stopped up. I'm not going to say who did it, okay? Uh, but the toilet was stopped up, and, and there was no plunger in sight. And it is, it is not an amenity. It is a necessity. Can somebody say amen? Um, so I did what any firm believer in Jesus would do. I got on YouTube, and we had a problem to fix, and we were far outside of the city to be able to go get a plunger. And so I YouTubed, how do you unclog a toilet without a plunger? Okay, has anybody ever looked this up? I'm about to edu educate you, okay? Um, <laughs> so I went in the, in the kitchen, I got a Walmart sack, and I wrapped it around my forearm and created an air pocket, Okay. And the guy in the video, it worked, all right? So he sticks his arm in the toilet. Kendra's got this all on video. I can't show you because there's language involved um, from her, not me. But um, I stick my arm in the toilet, and uh, I start the backward, you know, and start moving it and creating the movement. Well, my arm went straight through the Walmart sack, all right? And so <laughs> we had revival in that Airbnb. I prayed. I, got re I rededicated my life. And uh, so I go in the kitchen, and I get a trash bag. I get a trash bag. It's more, more durable, hefty. Um, we need this uh, sponsorship. And so I go back into the bathroom, and I got that thing unclogged. Can somebody say amen, okay? And I really do have a video. I cannot show you. Um, it was 1130 at night, and you could just do the math. So uh, Christmas is three weeks away. 
And uh, funny transition there. And who in here is excited about Christmas? We got any elves in here? So, yeah, I know I'm excited about Christmas. Who in here has all of their Christmas shopping done? Okay? Everybody else is judging you as you raise your hand all happy, um, including myself. Who in here has, has no Christmas shopping done? You got a lot. Okay, those are my people. Faith-filled people, okay? Living on the edge. Um, some of y'all just found out that Christmas was three weeks away. We're going to pray for you after service. And, uh, <laughs> uh, man, I'm excited for, for Christmas and the new year and all to come in 2023. We've been talking about vision, and I believe that you guys, that us as a family, as a church, we're going to hit some new gears in 2023 and how God wants to move through this place in this city. I'm fired up about it, and I think that we're just getting started for what God wants to do. But here's the thing is, if we're not careful going into the new year, um, we can get so focused on what's coming that we forget what's right now. Anybody else kind of fall into this? I, I fall into this, and I want you to know God is not done with you this year. I just want to remind you that there's still a lot of days left in 2022, and I think that we can fall prey to focusing on what's next and miss what's now. I want you to write this down as we get started this morning. What does God want to do through me, make it personal, by the end of the year? What does God want to do through you by the end of the year? And I want you to meditate on this question this week, and I want you to make it personal. I want you to really come to grips with this, and then also... A follow-up question, what are you going to do about it? Because with every responsibility that God gives us, we, we, we have a charge and we have steps that we need to take. I've really enjoyed the book of Acts this fall. And um, it, honestly, y'all, it's lit a fire in my spirit personally. And, and just to kind of recap where we've been, we've been in the book of Acts all semester long. They, they started off the book of Acts. They waited on the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes at Pentecost. Peter preaches and he says, repent and be baptized. Y'all remember all the way back then when we talked about it? 3,000 come to know Jesus. They devote themselves to the things that we want to devote ourselves as a church. Teaching of the word, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. Y'all really like the breaking of bread. I saw some eyes light up. Acts 3, we see a lame beggar get healed. He's outside of the temple courts. He's asking for money, and Peter and John walk up, and they say, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and what? Walk. And so this man gets healed. We see, uh, I think, 3,000 more people get added to their number this day as Peter and John are imprisoned. Now there is a total of over 5,000 followers of Jesus. They get released from prison. And then we see this, this beautiful picture of the church reunited. We spoke a message called Reunited, and it feels so good. They prayed immediately, and they prayed out loud, and they prayed in unity. I just want to, anybody remember you would review all, everything you learned in the semester for the final test? That's what we're doing, okay? They were filled with great boldness to go do what God was calling them to do. And then Acts 5, we see a great pause. It's almost like we see a pause in church growth because Ananias and old Sappy, they decided to steal from God. They decided that they're more obsessed with what man thinks about them than what God thinks about them. And so they had a false presentation to the Lord. They rejected God and his mercy. They lived, they lied, and then they died. Everybody say, they gone. Okay. They, they, they did not set an example for us and they wanted an appearance of godliness, but they denied God's power. We spoke a message called Stop Playing Church. Stop faking it. God wants you to be authentic in his house. And we see persecution rise, and 
the apostles are imprisoned again. And we learn that shut doors and locked doors and no doors are no problem for our God. That he can do anything. We learned about Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He, he, he does not flinch in the face of adversity. When he is faced with opposition, he rises to the occasion and he is filled with great boldness. He's a man of, the, of wisdom and faith, of grace and power. Stephen models truth and grace as he's taking his last breath just like Christ. He's forgiving those who persecute him. And there's a man on the scene named Saul. Saul approved of the killing of Stephen, and then we see the story of Saul start to unfold. And then I, I told us a couple things we have to stop doing as a church, and I think that you guys have got this. This is what we're going to stop doing, expecting non-believers to act as if they believe. We're going to stop judging people because they sin differently than we do. And we're going to stop pointing out the lost, and we're going to start pointing them to who? Jesus. This is what we'll stop doing. And we see a man named Saul that's completely transformed by the power of God's grace. And then we learn from Pastor Marcus when he came in and he showed us that Paul models excellent leadership. And we learned how he lived his life. We learned, just like Taylor Swift, how to shake it off. Y'all remember this? Like, and, uh, and so the last two weeks, we kind of paused from the book of Acts. And we talked about vision because I want you guys to know what we're gearing up for in the new year. But the next couple weeks, including today, we're going to spend some time in Acts. And, and we uh, did not really uh, stay in line with where we were at. But I wanted to pick a part of uh, Acts 16 that I believe in this season, especially as you gear up for Christmas and being around family and the end of the year that we can learn from. As we approach the end of the year, I want, us to, ch I want to challenge all of us to look around and to recognize that you have inside of you what somebody else needs. Oh, hear me. You have inside of you what somebody else needs. That's the whole focus of today. Everybody say Jesus. Now, if you are not a follower of Christ yet, this is a great place to be on a Sunday morning because you don't have to behave to, be, to, to belong here. You can come in as you are, and our prayer is that God would change you from the inside out. But we have something in us as Christ followers. It's the Spirit of God. People need the Spirit of God in their life. Would y'all say amen? Like, like, I don't know about you if you've looked around, but people need the presence of God. I need the presence of God. Of God, we see this pattern unfold through the book of Acts. There's lost people, there's found people that are followers of Jesus. There's a moment where God's power is displayed. There's opposition, there's opportunity, and this is the, this is the whole thesis right here. God moves, people are healed, they're saved and set free, right? God moves, people are healed, they're saved and set free. This thing repeats over and over and over throughout the book of Acts. This is the early church. And if we were to continue the book of Acts, today we would be in Acts chapter 2022. Because we are a continuation of what God started many, many years ago. We are here because of the obedience and the faith-filled men that we will read about today. Paul gets radically saved. He goes on some missionary journeys, and today I want to highlight this moment in Acts 16. If you've got a Bible, Acts 16, verse 16, it'll be on the screens behind me. It says, once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave that had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money by, for her owners by fortune-telling, and she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God, who are 
are, or who are telling you the way to be saved. They're, they're kind of telling on these guys. She, she kept this up for many days. I love this part right here. Some of y'all are going to really resonate with this. Paul became so annoyed, <laughs> I got that underlined, <laughs> that he turned around and he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Some of y'all are going to try this with your kids this week, okay? I'm not going to judge your parenting style. Some of y'all are going to try this at the workplace. Somebody's annoying you at work. You're going to turn and be like, in the name of Jesus, come out of it. You know, that's not a good way to make friends at work. I'm just letting you know. Verse 19, it says, when her owners realized that their hope of making money, circle this, was gone, that they, they seized Paul and Silas and they drug them into the marketplace to face the authorities. It, it's really important we see what's happening here. A theologian... Bruce said that when, when Paul casted out the spirit that possessed her, he also casted out their source of income as well. Paul and Silas are in prison because they got rid of the, the thing that was making these people money. The, the city launches into chaos and these men are thrown into prison. People would pay this lady to predict the future. It was a demonic spirit, which by the way, there is still demonic spirits at work today. Okay, it's very important that you understand if there is a God, that there is a real devil. Can somebody say amen? It is important that we press into this because this, this spirit was feeding off of people's fears about the future. This still happens to this day. You could drive down this road, and on your left, you'll see a place that says fortune telling. Get your palms read. Come look at some rocks, and they'll tell you your future. All of this stuff is going on right here in this region. I don't know if you know that. It is. This is not some new thing. This is actually something that has resurfaced from many years ago. This is the questions that would come up. How, how's my health? Will I get sick in the future? Will I get married? And who will it be? Has anybody ever struggled with some of these things? Will my kids make good decisions? How will they turn out? Are they going to be anything like me? Will I have enough money? How long will I live? How will I die? What is my future? This is the thing I've learned about fear and sin. Our insecurities and strongholds always have a cost. I'll say it again. Our insecurities and our strongholds, they always have a cost. And when those insecurities and strongholds are not dealt with at the foot of the cross, then they will cost you way more than you can afford to pay. And anybody in this room who has lived a sinful lifestyle for any amount of time knows that that statement is true. I know for my life it costed me way more than I could pay and then I realized that somebody came to pay for me. Don't, don't miss the correlation here. Strongholds in your life, they always have a cost. Maybe you're here today and you're addicted to the thing that is in your pocket. It is called a cellular phone. <laughs> don't you miss the days where you couldn't even take your phone with you? <laughs> life was easier, anybody? Like, I wasn't there, but I'm sure it was, you know. <laughs> Maybe you're bound by cell phone and, and staring at the screen and longing for, for someone to approve of you. It's costing you time and your attention. Maybe you're, you're bound by a drug addiction or alcohol addiction. It's costing you more than just your money. It's costing your health and your relationships and your family and your kids and your safety and sometimes your life. Maybe you're in this place and you are bound by lust and pornography. One of the, the, the industries in the world that is making the most money, more than the sports industry, is this thing right here. It is costing you your innocence. It's costing your purity, maybe even your marriage and relationships. Maybe you're here and you're, you're bound by needing approval from other people. You have lived your whole life 
wanting approval from someone else that you have stiff-armed gods. I can attest to all of these things in my life. Here's my point. Strongholds always have a price tag. And when someone else profits off of that thing, and ultimately it costs you everything. The beauty of Jesus in the cross and putting faith in him is that he paid for your sin. He canceled the debt that we could never pay. It's the life of Jesus. Every time someone is set free, Pastor Marcus actually told me this, every time someone is set free, it is costing someone something. It's maybe it's an industry, maybe it's a dealer, whatever it may be. It is costing somebody something when you get set free. In this situation, this lady is set free, and the men who profited were not happy about it. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they, they threw Paul and Silas in prison. It says they brought them to the magistrates, and they said, these men are Jews, and they're throwing our city into an uproar. It says they attacked Paul and Silas, that they ordered them, and they, they stripped them, and then they beat them with rods. I don't know about you, but sometimes I read the New Testament, and I think my life is not that bad. Anybody else? Like, what, what, this is real persecution for the gospel. One time, Paul was beaten so bad that it says that they thought he was dead. And then he gets up and dusts himself off and goes on to his next journey. This dude was tough. It says, after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put him into the inner cell. This was the most um, inner part of the prison. And he fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I want you to write this down. You never know who's watching. You never know who's watching and who's listening. To you in the midst of your pain in the midst of adversity, in the midst of when when something is not going your way. Someone is observing your life, especially as a Christ follower. How are you going to handle it? You you never know who's watching how you handle life's curveballs. A a situation recently, a, a dear friend of our family, a lady named Amber Hoyt. She's from our Conway campus, and she recently, she's been battling cancer for, for a while, and she recently just went to be with the Lord. And now she has two sisters. Some of you know her sisters, Rebecca Shatswell and Heather Hoyt. These ladies are strong. These ladies are fierce, and they can cut you, like, with just their worship. I'm talking about these ladies are fierce for the Lord. And, and I learned something about this, that in this hospital room, In the middle of one of the most painful things they've ever walked through as a family, that these ladies every single day would have doctors coming in. And they would literally hold out their hands to these women. They said, can you pray over our hands? Can you pray that we would do good work today? Nurses coming in, hey, can you pray for our patients today? They would have worship services in this hospital room. Amber, sick in the bed, was praying over other sick people to be healed in Jesus' name. People are watching the way that you live your life. Even in the most pain, they're watching and they're listening. My question for you is what are they seeing and what are they hearing? It's easy when things are going good, but how about when things are going bad? What are they learning? And this is what I've learned. Our lives are either pushing people closer to Jesus or pulling them further away. And man, I want a church 
that pushes people closer to Jesus in the good days and in the bad days. Amen? They're watching. Paul and Silas, their, their feet are put into stalks, and, and what's happening here is their body is being stretched. It was a way that they would torture prisoners in this time, and there was probably no light in the room. It's the inner cell. It probably smelled awful. These men are being stretched out. It said that the average person, after 20 minutes in this position, after the screams would leave their body, complete agony, they would completely pass out. Most of them would pass out and become unconscious unto their death. What does it say that Paul and Silas did? I'm blown away by their response. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God in a painful position. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I wrote this down. They chose to worship over everything else. I think this is a word for somebody today that you, in the middle of your situation, you need to choose to worship God. You need to choose to worship over everything else. It's midnight. They're being tortured. This is an unlikely situation. They chose to worship instead of complaining. Anybody resonate with that? They chose to worship instead of griping at somebody or they they chose to worship instead of being mad at God. God, why would you allow something like this to happen in my life? They chose to worship instead of blaming. Here's one. They chose to worship instead of cussing somebody out. Somebody's like, I received that today. (laughs) They chose to worship in the middle of pain. And it says, suddenly, verse 26, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And at once, y'all say at once. At once, all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. made an observation that worship is the key that opened the door. Worship is the key that opened the door and broke the chain. Some of you are standing behind a closed door or what seems like bondage or what seems like an impossible thing to get past. Worship is the key that opens the door. And I want to encourage you and also challenge you to worship God. In one instant, God did what seemed impossible. Did you know all God needs is one moment with you to radically change you? He just needs one instant. Some some of you here today, the, the family member that is far from God seems impossible to be saved. In one instant, God did what seemed impossible. Some of you aren't sure how you're gonna make ends meet as you approach the end of the year. Hey, hear me, everybody look at me. In one instant, God can do what seems impossible. Some of you are struggling so bad with anxiety this morning. You're having a hard time sitting in this room around other people. And I know I'm speaking to someone this morning. In one instant, God can do what seems impossible. He can. He he is God. Maybe you're fearful about how something's going to turn out. In one instant, God can do what seems impossible. Some of you, you're staring at a situation and it seems there's no way out. God can do what seems impossible. Would you choose to worship him? I promise you, it's not always easy, but it is always worth it. Always worth it. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword, and he was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. Now, this this jailer knew the consequence if this was the case because earlier some prisoners escaped, and the men who were guarding them lost their lives. And so he draws his sword, and what do we hear from across the prison? Paul shouts, hey! Keep in mind, he's in a painful position. 
in the inner cell in a dark, stinky room. He says, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Those chains have just fallen off. Paul's just standing there with Silas. Can you, I just want you to get a picture of this. Hey, don't, don't, don't hurt yourself. We're still here, man. <laughs> I love this. Paul, in the middle of his pain, in the middle of a prison, he modeled love and compassion for the lost. Someone needs to hear this this morning. That in the middle of the pain, in the middle of the prison, in the middle of adversity, he showed love and compassion for the lost. It was a decision that he made. The guy who locked him up, the guy who shackled him, the, the guy who tortured him, Paul is showing him grace. What does that teach us this morning? That in the middle of your worst day, in the middle of pain, that there is purpose to tap into. There's purpose to tap into. It's all about having what we call an eternal perspective. Have y'all heard this before? Having an eternal perspective. I learned many years ago at a, a youth camp that I used to work at during the summers. This is what we used to say. It's not about me. That may be the most powerful thing some of you hear this morning. This is a mentality that you need to adapt. It's not about me. When adversity comes, it's not about me. When hard times come, it's not about me. At the DMV. <laughs> I will say, Fayetteville DMV was one of the best experiences I've had. But go to Maumelle. It's not about me. All right? It's not about me. People still need Jesus. Amen? At the post office, waiting in a mile-long line because you waited all year to ship that package. Right? It's not about me. People still need Jesus. At the grocery store, somebody's counting 3,700 coupons in front of you, okay? Like, you need to say under your breath, say it with me, it's not about me. But some of us live our life like everything is about us. And everyone around you sees it, and they don't want nothing to do with the God that you serve because of it. Can we adapt this? It's not about me. I probably, it'll change your life. It'll change your kids. It'll change your family. You're at that, that parent-teacher conference, and that teacher is mean, and your kid is struggling in class. It's not about me. It's not, th- th- no, they need Jesus too. And you know what else they need? They don't just need Jesus. They need you to model Jesus for them. Man, I was writing this, and it was ministering to me. You're running late for work. You spilled your coffee in the cup holder. You're you're saying things that nobody needs to hear in your car, right? Somebody cuts you off in traffic. You're late for what you pull in. Your parking spot's gone. You rush into that meeting. It's not about me. I, I need to be an example. People are watching. People are listening to the way that I live my life. It's about Jesus. Some of y'all got some pets at home. And some kids, not the same. When you get home and you are frustrated with your day, some of y'all's pets need exorcisms. I'm just saying, okay? I've seen them on Facebook. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Listen, it's not about us. It's about who? Jesus. And we live to make his name famous, not our own. We have to show people Jesus. It's all about eternal perspective. Paul teaches us this. Nothing is more important than being fully present in the moment. Being fully present and pointing people to Jesus, the jailer called for the lights. He rushed in, and look at this. He fell trembling before Paul and Silas, and then he brought them out, and he asked, what must I do to be saved? On the other side of your worship and your eternal perspective lies this question from somebody probably wanting to ask you this. Hey, what must I do to be saved? 
in the workplace, hey, you, you live differently, you talk differently, you act differently. What must I do to be saved? They, re, they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. But then what does it say? You and your household. In the original text, the word believe, it means to fully trust and rely on Jesus. Believe in the Lord and be saved. Now, I, I was studying this. I came across something that really bothered me. A lot of religious men over the years, they, they actually combat this part of Scripture because they said Paul's presentation of the gospel didn't have enough rules behind it. They, they say this is cheap grace. There's, there's not enough things and, and mile markers to hit and there's not a checklist. He says, believe in the Lord and what? Be saved. And this is the thing. Well, it's just too simple. There's not enough to do. And listen, it's just like humans to overcomplicate what Jesus came to simplify. Write this down. Do not overcomplicate what Jesus came to simplify. I'm not talking about changing the gospel or changing scripture. I believe everything that the word of God says. Can somebody say amen? But what I'm saying is sometimes what people need is for you to love them and to serve them and to point them to Jesus. They don't need you to tell them all the reasons they need to change right away. Well, 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 Paul didn't tell him to repent. He was already repenting. He was on his knees. What must I do to be saved? Believe in the Lord Jesus. That's for somebody this morning. What would you say in that situation? Listen, I, I was studying how to become a, a, a chaplain in the military. I studied some weird stuff. And, um, and, and it's very fascinating what I found. There's this guy in the military in, in Britain, and this is what he said. He said, in the middle of war, when bullets are flying and bombs are going off, this is the test to know if you're cut out to be a chaplain in the military. He said, you've got three minutes. Somebody is taking their last breaths. What are you going to say to them to lead them to Christ? Man, I read that this week, and I was like, gosh, this is crazy. He says, how are you going to lead them to Jesus? What is your gospel presentation going to be? It ain't going to be a sign on the side of the street telling people they're going to hell. It ain't going to be a Facebook post with all the reasons you disagree and point out everybody else. No, listen, believe in the Lord Jesus. Turn from your sin and be saved. He paid the price that we could never pay. This is the gospel. He came and he took on flesh. He lived a perfect life. And he died the death that we deserved. And when we turn from our sin and we put faith in the resurrection, baby, we receive eternal life. Can somebody say amen? That's the best news you can hear all week long. And it's for broken people. We are so jacked up. If you don't believe me, I can show you the plunger story. The whole video. <laughs> Y'all be like, that's my pastor. I'm not shaking his hand, you know. <laughs> Listen, this is what the chaplain said. He said, when bullets are flying and lives are at stake, you care a lot less about all your disagreements and all you care is that you'll see someone in eternity. What if we live this way? Lives are at stake, by the way. Look around. I would say we live in one of the most like adversity-filled times right now in the world today. The political climate is white hot. <laughs> People are kind of losing their minds all over the place. What do people need? They need you to live like Jesus. Well, Seth, you're a broken record every week. The gospel doesn't change, baby. We always talk about loving broken people. You wouldn't get along with Jesus if you don't like that. 
I'm just telling you, I believe that somebody is here today and you just need to know there is a hope for you that God's not staring at your past and writing you off because of what you said and what you did and what you saw. He's saying, come to me all who are weary and drink of the fountain of life. It says that they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds and immediately he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and he set a meal before them. I'm gonna come back to this. And he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. He and his entire household. Notice this, their worship and their eternal perspective did not just impact the jailer, but the jailer's family, his kids, maybe his spouse, and every person that worked in that prison. In the middle of pain and adversity, they said, oh man, what an opportunity to share the gospel. We're in pitch black darkness. What a great place to be a light. And what they do is, They're obedient, and this is what happens, is that obedience in one moment can set free an entire family. Why am I sharing this passage today? Because I believe that some of you are gonna be obedient over the next couple weeks, and there are gonna be entire families that come into this church on candlelight, three opportunities, three services. We've got a lot of awesome things coming up, and families will be set free by the power of the gospel. One moment of obedience can change everything. It can change where someone spends eternity. You you see, you live differently when you realize that you've got something inside of you that somebody else needs. You live differently. You talk differently. You walk differently when you realize uh, this thing inside of me, the Holy Spirit and, and this, this God that I follow, the Jesus that died for my sin. You live and you walk and you talk. Well, something's different about them. Everything's different about me. I'm not perfect, but I'm on my way to heaven. And I'm gonna lead as many people to Jesus along the way. That is our mission. When we realize our strongholds are not stronger than the presence of God, when we worship in the middle of pain and adversity, when we model grace and compassion, even in the midst of pain, man, we have an eternal perspective. And let me tell you, that is what shakes heaven and earth. Amen. I want to close with a challenge for the church. This has nothing to do with the message, by the way. God dropped this in my spirit last night before I head home. And, and, uh, whew. I said, God, that doesn't have anything to do with the message. He's like, I don't care, you know. <laughs> I, I was recently talking with Pastor Marcus, and, and, and what I realized is when Jesus is magnified, our circumcised, or, or not circumcised, that's a whole other passage. Um, <laughs> we're not doing that today. Church attendance would drop drastically, you know. <laughs> we're circumcising. Every, I'm kidding, okay. God, come back. Come, please, please come back. All right, see you guys later. <laughs> That's great. When Jesus is magnified, no one's circumcised, okay? When Jesus is magnified, your circumstance is minimized. And here's the thing is that when Jesus is magnified, your situation doesn't become less important to God. It becomes less important to you. It's eternal perspective. And I, I want to tell you this story about the judo chop. This, this 10-year-old boy, 
This is so good. This is so silly. He was in, a, he was in martial arts and he was in this really bad accident. He ended up losing his left arm. Had to be amputated and he continued to recover and, and continued in his training. And, and his sensei, the guy that was training him, taught him one move. And it was this very specific move, and he trained him. And one, one day, this, this kid, he said, he said, hey, you're only teaching me one move. And he said, this is the only move that you'll ever need to know. The boy entered tournaments, and he was winning. Nobody could beat him. People were bigger and stronger and more experienced, and he won every single match. And this is what his sensei said. He said, you won because you mastered the most difficult move in judo. And he said, and you also won because the only way to defend this move is for your opponent to grab your left arm, which you don't have, by the way. (laughs) And and therefore, all you can do is win. Cue the music, you know what I'm saying? Like, all you can do is win. Did you know in Christianity that you have a judo chop? You have a judo chop. It's called hospitality. Hospitality is when you invite a stranger into your home and they become a friend and then a friend becomes family. It's when you learn someone's name and their story and you speak to their potential and you have an eternal perspective. Why do you think the church grew so fast in the book of Acts? They did it over a meal, one meal at a time. This is what I wanna challenge you with as we close today. I would tell you, invite people to candlelight. Let's get everybody in the city here. How about we get everybody here into other people's homes? How about we get people in the city into your homes? And maybe by the grace of God, they would come here. I would much rather people sit at your table than to sit in these seats. If this is God's will and they end up here, awesome. But how cool and how beautiful would it be for us to be like the early church? Because somebody say amen. It's your one-armed judo chop. All you can do is win. Did you know when you invite broken people into your home, the enemy has no ground? It silences the devil. He hates it. I want to take off the devil this month. Anybody else?